You know, whenever you go on a plane, they've got this guy in the front who's always waving you towards runways and towards, that's how I feel. I just feel like I have the honor of being able to point people to Jesus and point people towards his word, and our lives just continue to take off. Father, guide me today. Let your word, Father, touch lives in an incredible way. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. As a young man, I was raised uh, in a home where both of my parents were pastors, great pastors, um, walking in the knowledge they knew, which all of us do. And if you talk to a pastor who's preached for a few years, they always want to burn their first messages as you learn and grow in the things of God. But growing up in my family, my dad and mom had an absolute awe of God's Word. And so they taught me the word day after day, not just Sunday school, late at night when we'd go to bed, well, not late, but at night when we'd go to bed, dad and mom would teach us the Bible stories. It was very age specific. And we got to be careful because the world is so full of great fun stories, whether it's from Disney or whatever your group is. But the Word of God's stories, they do something to our families. They have within them teaching from the Word of God that does something to the heart of children. So my dad taught me all the Bible stories from the Bible, and not just the ones that uh, everybody knows, like David and Goliath. He taught me about the woman that drove a tent peg through someone's head and saved a nation. And I mean, all the obscure ones, the big ones. He would just teach me the stories of the Word. And then when I became old enough, he started paying me to memorize the word. All the kids are going to look at their parents now going. (laughs) And I think it was a nickel a verse or something like that. But man, I found all the great verses that were like Jesus wept and pray without ceasing and, you know, three word verses. And but I began to memorize scripture and uh, I had no idea how phenomenal that would be in my life until I first began to become paramedic and work in the hospital and get around a lot of stuff. And now the word was in me as far as memorization, but I recognized as I began to see the brokenness and the heartache from car accidents to murders to rapes, abuses, you name it, that I remember as a young man just crying out to God and wanting to see the miraculous. There has been a real resurgence in the 70s, the 60s and the 70s, was a real resurgence in the topic of faith. And people begin to pack out coliseums across North America and around the world. Churches began to explode. People would go to conferences that would just teach the word. They'd bring a notepad and a pen, and they would sit there all day, day after day, as they would bring together teachers of faith, and people would begin to understand and process faith. And so um, I was on the tail end of that as a young man, learning and growing. And I would see miracles. If you've read our book on the spirit contemporary life, it is filled with how we begin to understand the process of faith, how to use it in the real world where you needed to be contemporary and not a religious nut. But the thing that changed my life the most as a young man was understanding the difference between the mind and the heart. 
Here is where we have to be very careful. Bible words don't have Webster definitions. And so when we think they do, like heart, you got to have heart, miles and miles and miles of heart. Now look at that football player. He's got heart. We just call heart passion. We call heart an ability to keep going when, you know, things are pushing at you. But that's not the biblical definition of heart. The biblical definition of heart is something deeper within a human being that the Bible calls and Jesus calls your treasure. This treasure is an accumulation of the deposits that have been made into you repeatedly during your life and anything that has happened to you with great passion. So the Bible calls that writing on your heart. You write on your heart by repetition or by passion. For example, my dad and mom taught me to memorize the Word of God. Now, memorizing the Word of God is a part of the process. It's renewing your mind. Romans 12 teaches us that if you want to be transformed, and that word is about the heart, the renewal is about the mind. Because to get at the heart, you have to go through the mind. The Bible teaches us in Proverbs that a man who has no control of his life is like a city with broken down walls. And as you begin to take the beautiful mysteries of the word of God, which are not to be mysteries to his followers, you'll find out that the mind is the walls of the heart. And that your mind has been given to protect your heart, guard your heart with all diligence. James teaches us that your mouth will deceive your own heart. Jesus warned us, don't let your heart get hard. Don't let your heart get cold, etc. And so this central part of us, um, and you see, psychology believes in a the dichotomy of man, two-part man mind and body, and they regulate everything they don't understand to the mind, and they think the mind is everything. Now, the mind is incredible. God made it. But it can't touch something he's placed within you and I called the heart. It seems to be like your subconscious. It seems to be like the autopilot of your life, but it is far greater and if you do not renew your mind with God's word, this is the process of faith. If you do not do that, although you desire change, you won't be able to facilitate change. And you'll be frustrated. Anytime you struggle as a believer, the struggle within you will be between your mind and your heart. And so we need to renew our minds with the word of God, Romans 12. We need to establish our heart in grace, Hebrews 13. Because then this word, and it begins to do and get you ready so that the powerful, miraculous work of God can be done in your life. So heart is the deepest part of you. And every time I study heart through the Bible, it always seems to influence your identity. And so who you believe you are comes from the deepest heart beliefs. One of the ways I've taught this over the years is the difference between feelings and emotions. 
Emotions come from what you focus on. All right? And so feelings can come and go, woo. I mean, I'm sorry, emotions can come and go, woo. But now feelings, they seem to come from deep inside. And people can have feelings out of the blue. And they don't even know where it comes from. You can just wake up and just feel down, feel awful. You can, you, you can just start going in the, and if you've got the same feelings, it is a look at your treasure. For example, if every group of people you walk into, maybe you're here going, oh, I don't belong, but that's the way you feel with the soccer moms. That's the way you feel at the 4-H club. That's the way you feel with a neighbor barbecue. Everywhere you go, I just don't feel like I belong. And so it's not a truth. It's a feeling that comes from a belief, or it comes from the treasure of your heart, the deposits. The word treasure means the deposits that have taken place in your heart as a child, by your parents, by school, by your culture. And so it is crucial if you want to begin to walk where your life begins to succeed. Oh, there's that word, Leon. Listen, nobody starts something to not succeed. No one gets married and goes, I hope it doesn't succeed. No one starts a career and goes, I hope I don't succeed. It's a Bible word. And so everything that we do, the Bible says he will bless the work of your hands. Why does he say the work of your hands? Because it would take him too long to make a list of what you could put your life towards that he would bless. Losing weight, stopping smoking, loving your wife, raising your kids, getting a job, whatever it is, going to university, memorizing, uh, you know, for your exams. It just, it, it just, whatever you put your hand towards, it says that the blessing of God is upon you and I. And so today, I want to understand that some of you, if, who have maybe heard this taught and you feel like you know it, okay? You already show by that statement that you don't have it. Because according to the word of God, Romans chapter 10, if you want to be saved, you have to confess with your mouth, believe in your mind. No, believe in your heart. And then the miraculous change of becoming born again takes place. But the word salvation isn't just for you being born again. It is for every promise in the Bible. You must speak his word, believe it with your heart, and you will be saved from early death, saved from sickness, saved from someone assaulting you, protected, saved from all of the curse of the law. And so the language of the mind is reasoning. The language of the heart is dreams and visions. Now that sounds ooh but let me explain that to you. Your heart is very personally picturesque. And your heart, the word heart, and I haven't got time to dive, you know, to dive in more for definition, seems to be, all right, um, a mixture of soul and spirit where you have control and you can't blame God, but yet the presence of God within you in your spirit, man, it has access to the heart. As you renew your mind, the promises of God transform you. The word transform in the Greek is the word metamorpho, where we get the word metamorphosis, like a caterpillar spinning a cocoon and becoming a butterfly. It's not just an increase 
He didn't just take on wings. He became something totally different. He was creeping on a leaf. Took him all week to get across one tree. Now he's a butterfly and he catches the wind and he can be in a different province. This transformation, it comes as a process that Jesus teaches us in Mark 4 in many places. That get the word of God into your mind. And as you do, your mind, which is the walls of your heart, begins to hold off all the lies of the world, the lies of the enemy, the lies of teachers who are just trying to be good and say, you know, you know, you're not that great, Leon, at this, but you know, we're hoping things are going to go. Words can be done with good intent, but still be curses. And so your mind, the more the word of God gets into your mind and you begin to believe it, the more the armor or the walls go up. In Ephesians 6, Paul is referring to it as armor. In Proverbs, he's referring it to it as the walls of a city. Both protect people. So as the word of God comes alive on the inside of you, this armor begins to go up or these walls begin to go up. Now, these are good walls. They don't stop us from doing great things for God. But as the arrows of the enemy come in, the Bible says, be strong, Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And then it says, put on the armor, the whole armor of God. Because if you do, you'll be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Did you know that as you, as you begin to first get born again and, and come to know Jesus, that if as you grow in the word of God, you're, you're trying to stop this temptation and you're trying to not get angry and mad and get into unforgiveness and all this stuff. But as you stay in the word, the walls, the armor, the protection of the word begins to rise up to such a degree that when a thought, a lie comes at you, you don't even have to think it through teaching of God's word that has dropped into your heart. She goes, just stops it. I was talking to somebody on the week. They said, Leon, how in the world with all that is going on, do you handle the attacks on you personally, maritally, family-wise, in the school, in the church, in the television station? Like, whoa. I go, oh, I don't. What do you mean? I said, I'm not conscious anymore of most of the lies because the lies are destroyed by the revelation of God's word. Like, I'll give you an example. I'm going I'm to say something, and for those who are born again, you'll instantly dismiss this. You won't struggle with this. All right. There is no God. Now, is that going to bother you for the rest of the day? No. Why? Because the word of God that is within you went bam and just turned it off. You are not born again. Now, everybody here that is, you're not going to be freaking out about this all day because those words will not make it to your heart because they can't get past your head. Now, as we continue to take, take the word of God and renew our mind, it begins to get into our heart. It begins to establish this incredible ability from mind to heart, from mind to heart. So be reminded as parents that just because you take them to church and they get a 20-minute lesson in a beautiful and wonderful class, which is an incredible help. That's the icing on the cake to you as parents. It's what you teach them daily in your home by word and by modeling that drives it the deepest. They do not do what you say. They do what you do. They will say the things you regularly say. Okay, like, look out for men, sweetie. 
be shocked how many women have told me they raised in a home where they didn't understand romance and the beauty of sexual love. And so as she's getting ready to get married, her mom literally sits her down over and over. And it's in certain cultures or certain religions even worse. And those words are just thought and repeated by her that I won't enjoy this. Or, you know, money doesn't grow on trees. Stop asking me for new Nikes. If you say that all your life, not only does it show your treasure, your deposits, but it also begins to harass your kids, and they have to deal with the things that you don't deal with. James said that your mouth can deceive your heart. So the treasures of your heart are determined by you and I eventually in life. At first, as children, it's determined by our parents, what we believe, what we think about money, uh, family, what we believe about church, what we believe about God. Um, Church is crucial because Jesus is building his church. He's not building his religion. Religion is a bunch of man-made rules that you never feel like you arrive until you're obedient and you can never seem to be good enough. But that's not what the the ecclesia, the church of Jesus Christ is. And so you have to make a decision that I'm going through a lot of doctrine. Some of you think I'm just, but no, you need to listen to this again because the Bible says that the treasure of your heart is going into your life. That your heart, where, where the boundaries of your life are, Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. There are three words for this Hebrew word. The issues of life, the forces of life, and the boundaries of life. Often, uh, when I talk with experts about the Hebrew, they'll say, when you go to a word, you put every definition into it. And let it just flower in the way, in the sense that it is. And so I do that. So the, so my heart has the springs of life coming out of it. It has the forces of life coming out of it. And it's got the boundaries. Now what are, what do boundaries do? Boundaries, okay, can be a good thing if you're talking about you setting boundaries on, you know, your relationships. But there are boundaries that stop you from where you want to go. We would use this term in our vernacular. You know, your head keeps hitting a ceiling. You can't get past it. There's a set point that you can't seem to break through. Now, those set points, those boundaries that you can't seem to get to work in an area of your life come from the heart, Matthew 12 says. And that's why you have to make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree evil and its fruit evil, because a tree is known by its fruit. And it goes on to teach uh, that a good man from the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. Let me put it to you in modern, a good man from the deposits of his heart brings forth what he's deposited. Jesus taught us that the seed produces after its kind. You can't plant oranges and then pray for watermelons. The key is plant the seed that you want in. And so the word of God in our children, the word of God in you is crucial. And this process of renewing the mind and getting into faith is take the word, speak it, think about it, meditate on it. You know, when I pray with people who are dying, I always ask them as believers, what word are you standing on? I said, what do you mean? He said, the Bible has got a lot of promises. Is there one that is special to you? One person said, well, mine is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay, 
Now, what does that mean to you? Well, I don't know. I'm just speaking the word. No. The verse can come to the mind and renew the mind with a verse. But that's just knowledge. And knowledge doesn't heal you. What heals you is the language of the heart. Speak to mountains. Don't doubt in your heart. And so I say, now, tell me something as you and I have a few minutes before I pray. What is it you want to do that you can't do right now that this verse is painting a picture of? Well, I, I, I can walk out of the hospital. Good. See that. I, 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 can, I can walk with my kids around the block. Good. See yourself doing that. I, I can be with my husband. and Good. See your, you see, the word of God comes as information. But in this process of faith, it impacts your heart. And it's hard to tell apart the imagination and the heart because they're so closely aligned. God gave you a memory to rewind into your past. He gave you your consciousness to be in the now. And he gave you your imagination to move into your future. The world is, you know, the most brilliant people on the planet can't even understand consciousness in the now let alone the power of memory and memory loops or the power of your imagination as it begins to prophesy your future. And then when you start using words like that, all the religious people get upset. You can't imagine. Chill. This is a process. And Jesus is very clear about it. Why church becomes absolutely crucial because in our Sunday schools and the younger ages, you know, They're just taught the beautiful stories of the Bible. One story Holy Spirit can speak through and teach you a hundred lessons. I could be here for hours and teach you about forgiveness and teach you about redemption. Or I could tell you one story about a prodigal son who said to his dad, you're not going to die fast enough for me, so give me what's mine. I'm leaving. And the father gives it to him complete freedom, and he leaves. And he spends it on partying and wrong living. Then while he's finally eating pig food, which is not what a young Jewish boy should be doing, or any of us want to, and he realizes, I'm just going to go back to my father. Because I don't deserve to be a son, but he treats his servants better than I'm getting it now, so he... Goes back home. His dad's been watching for him, looking down the road. Which road? The road he's coming down home. Every one of us has a journey that we're walking out because of our disobedience sometimes. And God's at that end of the road waiting for you saying, and he sees his dad and he prepares this speech and his dad says nonsense. He puts the ring on his finger, the coat on his back, brings him into the house, kills the fatted calf, and he's back reinstated. And the elderly brother, which is a which is a type of religious people, comes home and he's ticked off that his dad would take this this guy that wasted half the fortune of this family and and blew it all, and he's accepting him back so easily. And, And so this story of a father, which is a type of God, a son, which is the prodigal, who is someone who just runs into the world, and then the older brother, which is a sign of religion. And when he says, you never killed me, the fatted calf, and the father says to him, it was yours to do meaning he could have killed a fatted calf every weekend and had his friends over for a get-together. That one story, just teach the story to your children, and it becomes time-sensitive. 
As a little boy, it just means to forgive and accept. As he begins to get in the word, it checks him from becoming a religious person who's judging others. And as you begin to grow, there are about a hundred truths I could teach out of that one, one story. What was Jesus doing? He, a lot of what Jesus did was, was speaking to the heart. Because the heart is picturesque. The heart is a story. Most people can never remember my points. Very few can. But almost everybody remembers my stories. That's why Jesus was a storyteller. He spoke to the heart. And as you begin to go into God's word, my advice to you at every age of maturity, if you are a believer for 60 years, you still have boundaries you need to deal with. No one's perfect. And if you're brand new, and what's beautiful is the Holy Spirit in Romans 8, 25 and on, says Holy Spirit searches the hearts. What's he looking for? He's looking for doubts, unbeliefs, these little time-sensitive bombs of doubt that others may have put in there that you're not even aware of until you try to produce in your marriage or in finances or romantically or, or whatever, and raising kids, and all of a sudden you find yourself in, in, unable to bring results about in an area. And the Word of God is teaching us when you can't bear fruit in an area, immediately go to the root, and the root is the treasure of your heart, the treasure of your heart is the beliefs that have been developed in your heart. And the beliefs of your heart all have consequences, good or bad, because the heart can be deceived. The heart plants whatever goes into it. You know, it's, and so the Jesus compares the heart to the ground. And he says, you know, the word of God is a seed, it goes into the ground, and the enemy comes immediately to steal the word which is sown. Why? Because if that word comes up, you're about to have a massive change of life with whatever that promise is that you're processing through. And it doesn't take long. And so he doesn't want the word to grow in you and I. But my challenge to you is, just because you know the promise, or you can memorize Mark 4, you see, this is where I was, and I'll close with this thought. As a young man, I had two pastors for parents, both teachers, and one, one was a teacher, one was an evangelist. <clears throat> I had the best of both worlds. I can never complain. And as they taught me the Word and taught me the Word, I became filled with the Word of God, the thinking of God, the things of God. But then as I reached the age of accountability, I had to begin to make decisions. Would I continue in this? One parent said to me, what did I do wrong if my child's not serving God? I don't know. Ask God. His two kids didn't listen to him either. <laughs> and that ought to set you free. I'm letting the devil blame you for what your grown-up kids are doing. And so as a young man, as I began to walk the halls of that hospital, because we were, that's where we were uh, started out as paramedics, um, and I wanted to see miracles. All the word that was in me, I began to think about it now because I, I saw where I wanted to use it. I wanted to lay hands on the sick. I, I wanted to bring that man before he died to a relationship with Christ. And I wanted my words to be revelation, not etc. And as I began to meditate in the word and listen to the teaching of, of anointed servants of God, something began to happen to me. And in just a matter, once I made a decision, I think in a matter of about a month, I'm just into the Word, getting into the Word. I began to find miracles happening into my life, okay? I began to lay hands on people and see recoveries taking place, miracles taking place. I began to change things that I, you know, 
didn't have good control over, like self-control, began to take place in my life. And, and, and all through my life, whether it was marriage or raising kids or, or, or needing to finance things or raising up a church or a school or a television station or Springs Church International, all this stuff that God began to bless us with, I realized I had to expand my boundaries for greater. I had to lengthen my ropes and strengthen my stakes and keep believing God he's going to do more. And that is when I found out Oh my, is this simple and powerful. Learn to speak the language of the heart. Father, I pray today that you'd touch each of us. That, Father, we would be so in love with you because of the finished work of the cross. That, Father, we would recognize what a precious future you've prepared if we walk in the paths you've prepared ahead of time. If we'll renew our minds, simple, simple things. Father, help us from the oldest here to the youngest. Help us to lengthen our cords, strengthen our stakes, increase the boundaries because you have greater and more that you want to bring into our lives. Before I close my message down, I want to close in a powerful prayer. It is a prayer of becoming a part of God's family. God will never force himself on you. Okay, like the prodigal son story when he asked for his inheritance to leave and squander it. He gave it to him. We all have complete freedom. God will never force himself into your life. So until you ask him to come in and be your savior and Lord, he won't. He respects free will, which he gave to you too much. But today I can lead you and a very powerful, simple prayer. In fact, we're all going to pray it out loud together. But for those who would say to me, Leon, would you include me? Because today, I need to give my life to Christ. If that's you, just you folks all across the stadium, open your eyes. And would you just give me a wave till I see your hand? You're saying, Leon, include me. Today, I'm giving my life to Jesus Christ right now. Thank you. Others, thank you. Thank you. Just making a decision for Christ, saying yes. Thank you others. Give me a quick wave. Those who are watching by television, pray this with us out loud. Let's all pray this with these amazing folks. Prayer goes like this. Just say, Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus who died in my place. He paid the price for my life. So Jesus, come into my heart. From today and on, I'm following you as my Savior, my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to the family of God.